Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. The title of the message is, What Are You Seeing? But before we go into that, I'm going to read a parable from one of the parables of the country parson by William Barton. Kind of warm up our thinking toward what we're going to aim at this morning. It is entitled, The Long Walk. The daughter of the daughter of Keturah hath a little friend who cometh to see her, and playeth with her in the yard hard by the window, where, they, where their voices may be heard inside the house, and mostly they play very happily. But now and then, for the sake of variety, they indulge in argument and comparison like grown folk. And it was upon a day that they got thus into a friendly scrap, the first part of which I heard not. But the argument had reached a stage where the daughter of the daughter of Keturah was advancing and backing the other little damsel off the map. And the other little girl could only answer, I did not, or you cannot, or it is not. And the daughter of the daughter of Keturah said, I can walk 59 miles. And the other little girl said, you cannot. And the daughter of the daughter of Keturah said, I can take my grandpa's hand and keep up with him, and he can walk 59 miles, and I can walk 59 miles with him if I hold his hand. And the other little damsel said, you cannot. Then did the daughter of the daughter of Keturah tell unto the little other little girl how great and good a grandpa she had. And I am too modest a man to write down what she said. But if George Washington and Solomon and a few others were to live in one, peradventure he might be a second cousin or a remote acquaintance of a man such as the daughter of the daughter of Keturah described. And the other little girl could only change the subject and say, I can kick your whole house down and all your trees. And the daughter of the daughter of Keturah, knowing that she had won out, said sweetly, Go ahead. Now there is no man who knoweth so well as I how far from right is the estimate of a little maiden concerning the goodness and the greatness of her grandpa. Nevertheless, it pleased me more than any man can understand who is not a grandpa. For unto none others hath the Lord given wisdom to know such matters. And the next time a man goeth by and bloweth a small whistle, she shall have a red balloon. For apart from her beautiful delusion, the little maiden is not completely wrong. For when she holdeth my hand, she can do things which otherwise she could not do. And I prayed unto my God a prayer, and I said, O oh my God, thou hast permitted us through the gift of little lives such as these to discern spiritual truths, which thou hast hid from the wise and the prudent, and revealed unto babes, so that we might enter into the kingdom of heaven as little children. Grant unto me this, O my Father, that I shall hold so fast to thine hand, that the journey that would be otherwise impossible shall be possible for me, and the task that would have been too great may be accomplished through thy strength. For I can do all things through him that strengtheneth me, and if I hold his hand, I can run and not be weary, 
and walk and not faint. Quite applicable for our day today. We can be assured that as we follow God and hold his hand, that we can do the impossible. All right, back to the title of the message, What Are You Seeing? And you probably wonder where preachers get their inspiration. This last uh, week I have been reading Going Till You're Gone by Gary Miller. Uh, subtitle, Rethinking Retirement, A Kingdom-Focused Vision in Midlife and Beyond. So I'm a little past midlife, and uh, so I thought this might apply to me. But in this in this book, uh, actually beginning of chapter 2, is entitled, chapter 2 is entitled, The Invisible Gorilla. And I'm going to read just what got my thinking going in this in this. Uh, Title, What Are You Seeing? He writes, In 1999, Harvard University conducted a basic psychological experiment. The experiment was incredibly simple, borderlining, bordering on the absurd. Yet the surprising results have surfaced in publications such as Newsweek and the Wall Street Journal. The conclusions were so revealing that they have been featured in college textbooks, psychology curricula. In addition, a full-length book was written to analyze the findings. In this experiment, six Harvard students were videotaped passing two basketballs between themselves while moving around within a small circle. Three students clothed in white passed one ball between themselves, and three clothed in black did the same. The video taken of these students was less than a minute long, and those viewing the clip were asked to count how many times the students dressed in white passed the ball to each other. This isn't as easy as it sounds. It's difficult to count passes of students dressed in white when you have students dressed in black moving around and passing the ball as well. But it can be done, and the number of times the students dressed in white actually passed the ball is 15 times. And while you're carefully following the movements of the one ball, something else occurs. About halfway through the video, a student dressed in a black gorilla costume walks slowly into the middle of this milling group of students. The gorilla stops, turns, faces the camera, and then beats its hairy chest before slowly ambling off the stage. The gorilla's actions are very deliberate, and it makes no attempt to be secretive. Yet, amazingly, fully half of the people watching this video clip for the first time do not see the gorilla. How can this be? How can a big, hairy gorilla come lumbering across the screen, stop in the middle, turn around, face the viewer, beat its chest, and walk off the screen, yet be totally invisible to someone intently watching the video? How indeed? The answer is that these viewers aren't looking for gorillas. They're concentrating so intently on counting the number of times the players dressed in white are passing the ball that they miss the gorilla. They are totally unaware of the obvious. Since the first experiment in 1999, similar tests were 
has substantiated its findings. Recently, an almost identical experiment was conducted. In this video, a gorilla also walks across the stage while the players pass the ball. The gorilla stops in the middle of the players and beats its chest, and the viewers again are supposed to count the number of times the white-clad players pass the ball. Of Pardon me. Of course, this time everyone sees the gorilla. They haven't heard of the past experiment, and they're on the lookout for gorillas. But something else happens. During this experiment, the bright red backdrop behind the players slowly turns yellow. And, the one, and one of the players dressed in black walks off the stage in the middle of the event. Surprisingly, as they watch for gorillas, only 17% notice these two obvious changes. We see what we look for. Results of these experiments are conclusive. We tend to observe only what we are looking for. We focus on the expected and miss the unexpected. Even if it's obvious, of course, we all like to think we are the exception. Over 90% of individuals polled said if they had an opportunity to participate, they would have seen the gorilla. We all like to think we are more observant than average. One of the men behind experiments, Professor Dan Simons of the University of Illinois, said, What's interesting is that most people firmly believe that as long as they are looking at the world, they will notice anything important that happens. The vast majority of us are confident we are good observers, yet the overwhelming evidence suggests that we are observant primarily of what we are expecting to see and generally oblivious to what we are not. That got my wheels spinning. That 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 is amazing. That of course the question is like, what am I seeing? What am I looking for? Gary goes on to actually go in a different direction. I'm going here. He says that in a congregation, you see what you look for. If you think somebody is like gung-ho on grace or something, when every time he opens his mouth and makes a statement, you know, say in Sunday school or something, it's like, there you go again. I mean, there he is on grace again. And somebody else is, you know, he's a little strong on works. And, you know, every time he says something, oh, there goes the works thing again, you know. And it failed to appreciate what's going on. And anyhow, so I, this this is an amazing read. I mean, if you're, huh, what's, what's halfway through uh, midlife, I mean, midlife and beyond? I don't know. It's like we fool ourselves. I'll make a radical statement. If you're over 40, you need to read it. So anyhow. Is it possible for me? So, this, so, so the proposed question that has that that is just rolling through my mind: Is it possible for me to concentrate on on details and miss the big picture, a larger truth? So, as I face life, what am I looking for? What do I like? What do I look for when when life is going to my advantage, so to speak? Is is 
So things are smooth, things are going great, and the economy's good, and you know everything's hunky dory, so to speak. Do I do I automatically make the assumption that that this is to my advantage? Can I be so busy passing the ball around? That I missed something greater. Is is easy life to my advantage? Are there inherent dangers when, when things are going smooth? If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6, uh, I'll just read a section here. And I think it's a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded. This is Deuteronomy 6.1. Your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land which ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the day of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And thou shalt be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten to be full. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him. Thou shalt swear by his name. He shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about us. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God. Among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee. Thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord. That may be well with thee. Thou mayest go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord hath spoken. When thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed sign and wonders, and great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in. To give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these things. To fear the Lord our God for our good, for our good always. That he may preserve us alive. As it is at this day. 
And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. So there are inherent risks when everything's going good and you got stuff handed to you and and money's easy to make and and all the things that we enjoy that a hundred years ago weren't even near on the radar. He says, don't forget the Lord your God. And not only did he say, don't forget the Lord your God, he said, don't go after the gods of the culture around you. What is that? America has lots of, of gods that they're pursuing serving, and, and it's not the God of heaven. But we are, we're supposed to be on guard. And he didn't bring us, he didn't save us just to save us. He saved us for a lot more. In verse 23, he said, he brought us out thence that he might bring us in. That he would, it wouldn't just be a, a removal from sin so that we can just float down easy street. He says, I've delivered you so I can give you a whole lot more. That... Um, for your good. So the question that I ask myself, can I get, is it possible for me as a Christian, is it possible for me as a Christian that I can get so caught up in easy living that I miss the gorilla of unthankfulness, apathy, greed, independence, pride, etc.? Is that possible? That is you know, the, the times we live in, it's an eye-opener. You know, when, when things aren't quite as easy, when it gets a little uh, inconvenient, things are inconvenient, and, and you have to work, you have to do things different, and things don't progress as fast. Uh, you, you can find out how independent you are. I, I just don't, you know, I can get the idea I don't need anybody. But then you skip church for four or five Sundays. You know, it's like, yeah, I do need these people. I really need them. You know, they're, they're a, a amazing part of my life. I, I miss the congregation. I miss the children saying their Sundays, their, their uh, verses. And uh, preschool children, you know, somehow or the other, they can never keep a hold on their paper. You know, they keep falling on the ground and, and they fell hold them up. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, cute and uh, very, uh, yeah, it's just stuff we take for granted. And, you know, just the simple fact you can dismiss church, turn around on your bench and talk to the next person. And, and it doesn't matter if he's three feet away or four feet away or not supposed to be six feet away. But anyhow, and so a lot of things get revealed in our lives. When things are doing good. So what then do I look for in life when things seem difficult? How do I view the seeming seemingly impossible when the the natural resources that we take or the available resources that we take are unavailable? So when for example, when there isn't a vaccine to fix the problem. 
when there isn't a test kit to even figure out whether you got a problem. It's like, how, how do I look at that? I mean, how, how, what is, what am I looking for in challenging circumstances? Am I looking for the next thing that they're going to do or the next problem or, or, you know, this is like a negative attitude or, or what am I going to look at? Exodus 17, I'm going to read Exodus 17, 1 to 7, and this is uh, when the people murmured for water. Beginning at verse 1, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They almost ready, they'd be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people. Take with thee of the elders of Israel thy rod, wherein thou smotest the river. Take it in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. Thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come forth water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So here we have these people. That, you know, we can get pretty hard on them. We can, we can we can say, you know, they should have been more content. But I don't know. I mean, when you get thirsty, you really get thirsty. I, you know, it's like th this is an amazing drive for water. But they tempted the Lord when they said, is the Lord among us or not? I'd like to propose to you that we... Take the same question, okay? We take the same question, and we ask it with a different spirit, okay? When things don't look like there is an easy solution. So if we take this question, and we put it in a godly perspective, with a godly spirit, and we ask the same question, but then a godly spirit, and we say, is the Lord with us or isn't he with us? You know, we have to answer that question. Now, if he's not with us, guess who moved? But, you know, he's not half with us, you know, or half or whatever. Uh, if we're going to say, without a doubt, that God is with us, then we need to behave the same. We need to believe the same. We need to act the same. We need to have a perspective of seeing things in God's perspective. Now, if the Lord is not with us, we honestly say he's not, then we got some spiritual repenting to do. We got, we got, we got to do some, a, a change of life, a change of heart, a change of, well, it just complete change. So if things aren't, as smooth as we like to see them, what do I do with my imagination? What happens? What do I do with my imagination? 
What lurks in the darkness that I can't see? I don't know, as a little child, and probably all children will have a little bit of this, um, you know, where it's dark, it's a little scary, and you don't know what's in the dark. And you think, oh, well, and uh, you know, it could be, what, it could be bears in the dark. But you don't really think about that nobody has seen a bear in our, com- in you know, maybe in your community for Five years, you know, the chances of being a bear in, in, in your yard, whatever, when it's dark is just about zero. Or they think maybe something in the dark is going to get them. But in reality, it's not there. And it's not huge and it's not dangerous. But I'm not sure... That we as adults completely ever outgrow that, that temptation. It's like when there's, when there's not as much light on the subject or on the situation that I would like to see, then the temptation comes, you know, it could be a whole lot worse than what it is. And then our imagination starts feeding that. But Paul writes that we should cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So am I in control? Of, do I ask God to, to help me to, to get into control of what could become Wrong imaginations. I know we have to look at life seriously. We have to look at it realistically. We have to look at it the way God looks at it. But our thoughts can just kind of run away. And and, and we need to bring them into captivity. We need to surround them. Now, children, after the message... uh, I'll tell you a poem about a little boy's imagination that I memorized when I was about 10 years old. Uh, It's not really pulpit material, so we're going to leave that to after the message. But I'll tell you this poem from what it's worth, from the what it's worth department. But back to the subject. Can I trust the Lord with the unknowns? Okay, we, you know, it's like we can trust the Lord if we, if we just have a bit of information. But can I trust the Lord for the unknowns? Unknowns. The, the, the place where there's not a whole lot of light. I, you know, it's, it's the future. What, whatever you may be facing. Is God really close? Does God understand everything that's going on in my life? Does he see it? In Psalm 139, 
David talks about this. And I'm going to read it. And, and I'd like for you just to, just to think about your situation and you think about how God is relating to your life and, and to maybe the difficulties that you face, whatever they be, large or small. It could be anything. Uh, we all have different challenges in life. But but Dave, David he just put he he just puts it in such a a great way. I, I was just so challenged, and my heart was warmed. Sometimes I read this as somebody that's trying to get away from God, and, and but he just everywhere he goes, God is. Well, that's a problem if you're trying to get away from God. But if you want God, that is the most that is incredibly uh incredibly comforting relaxing uh, it's just yeah i'll just read it Psalm 139 oh lord thou hast searched me and known me thou hast, thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising thou understandest my thoughts afar off thou compassest my path and my lying down Thou art acquainted with all my ways, and there is not a word in thy tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast set me behind, behind, and before, laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Everywhere I, as a Christian, look, move. God's behind me. He's around me. He's surrounding. He's over me. He knows everything that I'm thinking. He has his hand on my shoulder. He, he's saying, I'm with you. Verse 7, Whither shall I go from my spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the winds of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. There you go. You worry about the dark and the light. The dark is like the light. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eye did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, even as yet there was none of them. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. And skip to verse 23. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God is everywhere. God is intensely interested. The dark, the light, the day, the night, whatever. Wherever you go, God is with you. So I ask my, myself the question, if and when I face difficulty, do 
I use my opportunities to learn and grow spiritually. Can, can I see a bigger picture, a greater entity than the goings-on? The goings-on, like they're passing the ball around. A lot, a lot of activity, goings-on. Okay, can I see a bigger picture in all that goings-on, I guess? <laughs> Am I like a student? Am I, do I get... My pen and my pencil, or my paper, and I say, Lord, I'm ready for the lesson. I'm ready for the lesson. Do I have a, do I have a, what can I learn frame of mind? In Maranatha, in about, I think about 2003, um, they were short instructor for a class or something, and I was visiting administrator, but I ended up teaching a class. And in that class, there was a girl by the name of Annalisa Olmstead. And Annalisa, if I recall, was a very attentive student, whatever, very kind, gentle, whatever. And she made a statement one time, at the, I think it was at the end of the first class, she said, in a culture, and she named the culture, and I can't remember the culture, but she named the culture. In that culture, when there was a class, the students, as they exited the classroom, would bow to the instructor and thank them for teaching them. And if I recall, she didn't bow, okay? And she wasn't the kind of person that was trying to get attention and, and, and you know, making a scene or whatever. So I, I don't recall her bowing. Maybe she did the first, first class. I don't know. But, she, but every single class, on the way out the door, she would say, thank you for teaching me today. I, that, that just kind of opened up a window of a mo in my mind. I mean, you know, I... Yeah, I always kind of thought that all the other instructors were a lot better than I was, and I kind of maybe pitted the students a little bit. But, but you know, I, do I do I do I appreciate the opportunity be, to be taught? Do I appreciate the opportunity to sit at the feet of Christ, the feet of God? And allow him to instruct me, not just verbally do this, do that, whatever, but instruct me through the circumstances in my life around me. And do I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for that lesson. You know, I would have never learned it. I would have never, I would, it wouldn't even have crossed my mind if you wouldn't have taught me. If you wouldn't have brought this into my life. And you and I know there is times where God puts things in our life that are not easy necessarily. But it is incredible the lessons that we can take. And the lessons that we can learn. And the lessons that we that act, that dramatically change our life. By what God teaches us. But I have to have... 
I have to have – no, look, let me back up again. I, 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 I got to want to see – I see what I want to see. Do I use the lessons that God gives me to show, exhibit God's power and peace in my life to unbelievers around me? Moses says to the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know, that situation they was in, you know, they got the Egyptian behind them. They got the Red Sea ahead of them. It's, it's, you know, it's getting night and, you know, and uh, all these things. And, and it looked like there was no way out. And, and just like stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God says, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, these times that we're living in, God is doing great things. If we're willing to see, if we're not too busy watching things passing around, maybe we're passing around COVID-19 stats and how many people died and how many people got it and, and which state's doing this and which state's doing this and when Minnesota going to leave us, get a little whatever. And But, but do I see a, a, a bigger thing happening? One of the things for certain it is showing us that the coming of Christ is nearer than we think. Just go read Matthew. I mean, it's, yeah, it's incredible. And I don't like to read Psalm 46 yet. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried to the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river. The streams thereof shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. The heathen raised. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. Is he with us or isn't he with us? Absolutely he's with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease at the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, he cutteth the spear in sunder, he burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you that you are a God of all history. You are a God of all time. You are a God of eternity. You have everything... In your control, nations of the world is like dropping a bucket in the small dust of the balance. God, we stand in awe before you. Thank you 
thank you, thank you that you are all around us. We are not left abandoned, that you care, and that you are with your people. Help us, Lord, to want to see you. Help us, Lord, to want to learn. Help us to follow you explicitly. Give us faith. Give us courage. And help us to seek you in the times that we live in. And may, be, may we be a living testimony of your grace and your peace and the turbulence around us. We praise you for who you are and we praise you for you what you have done, what you are doing, and that what you will do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.